0: If you are one of our pirate ship kids, you are dismissed. There we go. All right. We love that every single week. And it's almost like that group grows every single week. Really exciting. So I was about 15 years old. And it was time for me to learn something new. And uh, most of us have experienced that learning to drive is a lot harder than we think it's going to be. And I remember my dad coming to me when I was about 15 or 16 years old, and he said, son, it's about time you learned something new. He grabbed me by the hand, took me outside to his Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. I mean, it had, the paint was just chipped everywhere. It looked like it had been driven off a cliff and then brought back to life. And I just remember he took me to the inside of the car. He said, son, this is a blinker. You use it when you turn. Son these are the brakes. You use them when you want to stop. Son, this is how you roll down the window. And I just remember him walking me through that entire process. And the good news is that I was 15 years old, and so that means that I automatically knew everything there was to know about driving, or so I thought. I mean, if a kid actually spends 10,000 hours playing Mario Kart, surely he knows how to drive, right? And I said, Dad, I've got this. And so what started out as my dad being really, really excited about teaching me how to drive, it pretty much ended up with, no, son, you don't drive with two feet, you drive with one. Son, you have to put on, watch out for that truck. Son, if you scratch my Oldsmobile, and I just remember that entire process being just about the hardest thing I've ever had to get through in my entire life. It's a miracle that I'm still living and able to breathe here today, but I'll never forget The excitement of seeing that in my dad's eye, that he was teaching me something new, that he was passing down something to the next generation, that he was passing something down that his father had taught him a long, long time ago. And as miserable as it was for me, he enjoyed it at least on the front end of it. You know that you are where you are today, And whatever it is that you're doing, whatever field it is that you're doing, whatever relationship that you might have in this life, you are where you are today because someone took the time to invest into you. Someone took the time to spend time with you, and they said, watch me do what you see me doing. All right? Watch me do what you see me doing, whether it's a mom passing down recipes and teaching you how to cook. Thank goodness my wife got that skill. She got that skill early on. Thank goodness my mother-in-law passed that down. And whether it's a dad teaching us how to drive or teaching us how to put some, some board together and make something, like there's something about that, just being a guy, you know, and dad's passing that down, never got that gene, never can build anything. Or whether it's grandparents teaching us how to act in public, you know, teaching us manners. They pass it down to us about how you're supposed to treat other people in and about. You're supposed to hold the door open. You're supposed to not you know, let the lady walk through first. Grandparents passing all of that down. You see, here's the, here's the realness of it all. We're all just as clueless as the next person. We don't really know what we're doing unless we have somebody take us by the hand and teach us whatever it is that we need to know. We don't know what it is. We don't know how to fulfill We don't know how to do it. Unless we have somebody take us by the hand and say, watch me, do what you see me doing. It's the same in the Christian life. Did you know that one of the most important things that, one of the most important exercises that we have as Christians is to take other people by the hand, to take uh, other men, other women by the hand and say those exact words, watch me, do what you see me doing. It's one of the most important exercises that we have in all of the Christian faith. Now, the question is this morning, have you ever taken the time or have you ever had anybody in your life where you've kind of taken under your wing, where you've taken and and kind of showed them the next portion of of what's next? Have you ever taken the time, I'm going to use a, a big word here, but have you ever taken the time to disciple someone? You see, We see in the, Old, in the New Testament where Jesus had these group of followers. They were called his disciples, and they walked with Jesus. They saw him live. They, they watched him perform miracles. They, they watched him do incredible things. They heard his teaching. Whenever Jesus was gone, these disciples, they took off and became what we know as the early church. But it was only because they started as simple followers and disciples, and we're kind of left with this mandate. We're left with this charge that we are supposed to take other people with us, to take them by the hand and say, watch me, do what you see me doing. You see, every single one of us has the opportunity standing before us to be somebody's hero. Every single one of us has the opportunity standing before us to change a life, to impact a life forever, to make a real difference, to be For all intents and purposes to be a hero in the faith. Now you might have heard, maybe you've been in church a little bit, maybe you've heard this word. It's called equip. I don't know if you've heard that word, but there's kind of a a churchy word that we use sometimes that we, we call it equip. That we need to equip the next generation or that we need to pass on, give them the tools that's necessary for the job. That's kind of what we mean whenever we say that we're supposed to equip others, that we need to equip them and give them the tools that they need. And that's certainly one way to think of equipping, but there's so many more definitions and so many more uses for that word equip. And I want you to hear just a few of these definitions or or other ways that we might view equipping someone. You see, equip also means to heal a broken bone. To heal a broken bone or to train a soldier for battle or to prepare a ship for a voyage that it's about to embark on or restoring something to its original condition. You ever think about the Christian life that way? That one of our major responsibilities as followers of Jesus Christ is to equip others around us, other men and women around us. It's the role of the Christian to train someone for battle. That it's the role of the Christian to to mend a broken bone in someone's life. It's the role of the Christian to prepare someone for the voyage ahead in this life. That it's the role of the Christian to restore something to its original design. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. All right, this is going to sound really simple, but you can't equip something that you don't have a relationship with. You can't equip someone when you don't have a relationship with that person. You see, my dad, whenever I was learning to drive, he didn't just hand me a driver's manual. My dad got in the car with me, as painstaking as it was. He rode with me in the car and showed me, son, this is a blinker, Son, these are the breaks. And we had that relationship back and forth, that learning process, because there was a relationship there in the process. And, and here's, the, uh, here's the idea that we have, is that you can't equip somebody that you don't have a relationship, but most people view Christians and the Christian life like we're kind of weird, right? They view the things that we do, the things that we practice, they view us like we're really weird. And it's okay, because we kind of are, really, but most of us have the impression of us that we just sit at the house with these turtlenecks on, you know, with no TVs on, you know, listening to our Christian music. We've got the fire out. And we just sing songs all night. That's all that we do. Most of the world, they think about you, and that's how they kind of view you if they know that you're a Christian. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's probably how they view you. And so what we have before us is that we have the task is to get into these relationships, to get into these these patterns of friendship so that we can make a difference in someone's life forever, to make a difference in someone's life forever. What the world needs now more than anything else is they need to see a real, true follower of Jesus with skin and bones. That's what the world needs to see more than anything else is they need to see a real, true Christian follower of God who loves Jesus but also loves them. Who's not afraid to sit in somebody's front yard for hours on end. Who's not afraid to get into the trenches and do life with them. What the world needs now more than anything else is they need to see that as followers of Christ that we don't want to just do something for them, That we're not just here to to bring about something for them, but that we want to do this thing called life with them. That's what they need to see more than anything else. And, And I just want to show you this in the Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8. That's where we'll be camping out most of today, Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at a guy named Philip. And Philip doesn't exactly jump into a cutlass Sierra, but it does have wheels. Acts chapter 8, that's where we'll be picking up today. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see it right over there at our connect table, and that's free of charge to you. But Acts chapter 8, we'll be starting in verse 26. If you got it, say, I got it. This is now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And he was seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you are reading? That's a very bad question, okay? Have you ever read Isaiah? I'm sure he didn't understand it. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and he sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer, it's silent. silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Obviously, we know who he's talking about here. He's referring to Jesus. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? This is awesome. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel To all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Father, we invite you, Lord, to just grip our hearts this morning. Lord, we see from your word that Philip has been scattered about. Lord, and he's bringing about your mission to all the earth. And so we just pray that, Lord, we get to be a part of this. So exciting, so encouraging that something that happened hundreds of years ago is still happening today. And we have the privilege of being a part of your plan for all of mankind and for all of history. Teach us from your word this morning. and Allow your spirit to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. And so you originally, as we've been looking here in the early church, we see that the early church is beginning to start to send people out further than home. Last week we talked about how The early church, they appointed these leaders and they called them deacons. And so the early church, they had these leaders that were over them, kind of shepherding, kind of pastoring, walking through life with them as the church gathered. But the church did not only gather. You see, the church they sent out from among them, they were the church scattered, so to speak. So you've got the church gathered and you've got the church scattered. And so that's what they're doing. They're sending out missionaries from among themselves out into other places of the world. One of the particular missionaries that they send out is this man named Philip. You see, the early church, the early church wasn't kind of concerned, and they didn't think about church in the way that we think about church today. You see, the early church, they weren't asking the questions, how do we grow our church? That's kind of the question that a lot of churches ask these days. How do we grow our church? How do we get people in? How do we get people into covenant relationship where we can just grow this thing? That's not how the early church thought about doing ministry. You see, the early church weren't asking the question, how do we add people to our church? The early church was asking the question, how do we multiply God's kingdom? How do we multiply and have a church here and a church here and a church here all over the place? And so they decided that one of the best ways to do this is to just send out missionaries. Let's send them out all over the world. And one of the people that they do that with is a man named Philip. Now, we just saw a little bit ago in the early part of Acts chapter 8 that Philip is on this journey, and he comes across this man named Simon. Simon is a magician. He doesn't believe in God. But Philip, as he enters into the town, he shares the gospel with everybody. Everybody gives their lives to Jesus. It's kind of this wonderful moment of repentance. And lo and behold, this man named Simon comes to believe in Jesus and he's kind of growing in this. They send Peter, they send John to to meet with him so they can raise him up in the faith. And then, all of a sudden, Philip is scattered to another place, and he lands here with this Ethiopian eunuch. What in the world is a eunuch? I had to look it up this week. I'm going to be honest. I had no idea what a eunuch was. So a eunuch was a person, in this particular passage, he worked for the queen. And this guy, he was more like the treasurer. He worked... Specifically, with the queen of Ethiopia, and he was. It says that he was in charge of all her treasure, all the money, and he's kind of this high official. But because he worked with the king and the one uh, with the queen, one of the things that makes him specific as a eunuch was that, in order to make sure that he had no relations with the queen, uh, he was kind of ridded from his biology. We'll leave it at that. He was ridded from his biology to assure that. And it's really hot in here. Really awkward. And so this was kind of the Ethiopian eunuch, and Philip comes across this guy. He's sitting in a chariot, and he's trying to read the prophet Isaiah. And it says that as he's sitting there, he's perplexed, and he can't understand the words on the page. He can't understand the words of Isaiah. And it says that he's kind of perplexed by spiritual questions. He's perplexed by what he's reading. He can't understand it. He can't grasp it, and so he needs somebody to to explain it to him, needs somebody to to help him understand what the prophet Isaiah has to say. And you see, I I really don't think that this is a coincidence. On a much deeper level than just trying to understand the prophet Isaiah, this Ethiopian eunuch, he's asking spiritual questions. He's asking, "What's, what's happening? Who am I worshiping? It says that just a few seconds ago that he's left Jerusalem and that he's on his way back back home to Ethiopia and he's kind of wrestling, chewing on what it is, trying trying to grasp and trying to understand, who am I worshiping? You see, a lot of our friends and neighbors are asking the same exact questions. They're asking the same exact spiritual questions that this Ethiopian eunuch is asking. They're asking, who am I worshiping? What am I supposed to be worshiping? Your coworker, your neighbor, your friend, whomever it is. You see, they're looking at the world and they're asking these very questions. What's going on in the world? Why is it happening this way? Who's the right God to follow? Should I go to this church? Should I go to that church? Why is this happening in my life? Why doesn't God hear me when I pray? And they may not be looking at the book of Isaiah and need understanding of that, but they are nonetheless perplexed, searching, begging for answers, wondering what in the world is the right path to take. They're perplexed by these spiritual questions, wondering who is the real God? Where can I find hope? That's exactly what's going on. And I'm telling you, firsthand, we see this all the time, as we go out into neighborhoods, as we go out into communities, we see this all the time. So much spiritual confusion. So much confusion about, about who God really is. And, and I'll just say this, there's a lot of people in these in this neighborhoods, in these areas, they don't know the difference between what we do and the Catholic Church down the road and the Jehovah's Church down the road. They don't have any frame of reference at all. And they're asking these questions. We see it all the time at my wife's place of employment. Folks will literally just walk in and just say, I, I, I don't know what religion I need to follow. Give me a book on this. Give me a book on this. Give me a book on this. And I will choose my religion based on this. You see, the world is really, really, really searching for answers. Searching, perplexed by these spiritual questions. But, and, and as he comes across him, as Philip come across him and it says that he overhears this, he joins the chariot. And then in verse 30 it says, so Philip ran to him, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And here's the most beautiful point of this, this whole entire passage, and he invited Philip to get up into the chariot and sit with him. I don't think we should rush past that that Philip got into the chariot. That's beautiful. And it's a beautiful picture that that as Philip gets up into the chariot, he's no longer Philip the missionary, but he's Philip the common guy. And he's looking at this eunuch eye to eye, elbow to elbow, and it's just the two of them. And they're wrestling through an Old Testament passage, and they're just trying to figure it out. Together, just the two of them. He's no longer looking at him and saying, Sinner, you need to repent. But he's just a common guy, skin on skin, bone on bone, flesh to flesh, trying to figure it out together. He's answering these questions that he has about about the prophet Isaiah. And and you see, here's the the good news here is that whether it's Jesus reclining at the table or Paul walking into a temple or whether it's Philip getting into a chariot or whether it's you sitting on somebody's front yard or sitting in somebody's living room, This is one of the most important things that we have to do, is that we have to become available people, available people to sit and and to get into a relationship with. You can't equip something that you don't have a relationship with. And so one of the best things, one of the best opportunities that we have is is to equip, to get into a relationship, to climb up into the chariots, so to speak, to sit across the table in a coffee shop, to, to sit across the table over dinner, over lunch, over breakfast, to hear their stories and to say, I, I hear what's going on here. And I may not have the answers, but I can find it out for you. I'm not a scholar. I haven't been to seminary. I haven't even been to school. I don't know all the answers, but I know that we can find it out. What the world needs more than anything else right now it's for Christians who are available to get into the chariot. You see, the message of the gospel is the only thing that can save. The good news of Jesus is the only thing that can save anybody. But generally, most people don't care what you know until they know that you care. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so whenever Philip jumps up into this chariot, he makes himself available. He shows this Ethiopian eunuch that, yes, he does have a message, but more than he has a message, he has a heart and he has compassion. And that's what our friends and neighbors need to see more than anything else. But it, he gets in there, he, he goes and he, he kind of explains what the prophet Isaiah says, and he jumps down with me for a little bit in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth And beginning with the Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. You see, whenever Philip opened his mouth, he had the exact answer that this eunuch was looking for. And the answer that he was looking for was good news. The good news of Jesus. I love how it says that right there, that that he told them the good news about Jesus. Whenever Philip opened his mouth, he didn't say, hey, whoa, 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 let me go grab the pastor. All right, let me go find James, John, and Peter. These guys, they're the apostles. You're going to love what they have to say. Let me go grab them. I'll be back in about 20 minutes, okay? That's not what he said. Is it? Whenever Philip opened his mouth to speak, he didn't say, have you ever read The Purpose Driven Life? Oh my gosh, have you, you have to read this. Have you ever read a Francis Chan book? I've got the book for you. That's not exactly what Philip said. Is it? Philip didn't stand there and he didn't say, have you heard about my church? And I love my church. I love my church. We got a rocking band. Our kids' program is just knocking it out these days. If you got kids, we'll put them in the power. That's not exactly what he said, is it? Whenever Philip opened his mouth, it was filled with good news. It's a clear picture, guys. A very clear picture. There's confusion. We get up in the chariot with them, we open a relationship with them, and when the opportunity comes for us to speak good news, we speak the good news of Jesus Christ. We speak the good news. And I, and I just want to say that it's clear to make this point. Whenever Philip says that he spoke good news, it doesn't say that he spoke good advice. It doesn't say that he offered a few words of hope or encouragement. It doesn't say that he just said, hey, Bless your brother, be on your way. That he spoke the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know what the good news of Jesus is, whenever Philip opened his mouth to this Ethiopian eunuch, what he had to say was, guess what? There was a time in our lives whenever we were broken, rebels apart from God. We looked at God and we said, forget you, forget your ways. We would rather do it our own way. And we rebelled against God in our hearts. But the good news is that God came down in flesh and bone in the form of Jesus Christ. And he died on the cross, and he came back to life, and he's now resurrected at the right hand of the Father. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you will have life. This is the same message that Philip preached. It's still alive today. This is the good news of the cross. It literally means good news, gospel. It was a warlike term. Whenever two countries were at battle with t- together, and one battle, one one group would prevail over the other. They would send back this messenger to all the city, to all the town, with this message of you and Gelly and good news. The battle has been won. The victory is ours. Here's the good news. Let's spread it all over town. That's exactly what we're saying whenever we have this gospel message or this good news. But this does spark a lot of questions. This does spark a lot of questions, okay? who's your one? Who's your one? Has God laid somebody on your heart? Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, neighbor, family member, whatever it is that God has specifically laid on your heart and says, in a sense, that this is your eunuch, that I want you to build a relationship with. That I want you to to show skin and bones of what a true Christian looks like. That I want you to verbalize the good news of Jesus Christ. Who's your one? I might make it a little uncomfortable this morning, but we're going to take about 10 seconds. And I want you to write that name down. I want you to go ahead and write that name down. If you don't have a pen, I trust you have a phone. Who's your one? Sometimes we can get a little overwhelmed and we think, man, I've I've got to share this with the entire world. I've got about 30 people I need to invest in. Sometimes it's good to just narrow it down and just focus on one person. And the good news is that God doesn't have to transport you anywhere. It's generally somebody in your sphere of influence, what we might call our oikos, somebody in your dwelling place, somebody that you might live with? Somebody who might share an office with you? Somebody that might lay their head next door at night? Who's your one? Maybe it's a place or a field that God has laid on your heart for some time, and you just haven't jumped in there yet to build relationships with them, to to jump in and truly grasp what the spiritual questions are. But who's your one? Secondly, I'm going to ask you this. What are you going to say? What are you going to say when the time comes? I I ran across this quote this week and it just floored me. It says that an inheritance is something you leave for someone when you're gone. But a legacy is something you leave in someone when you're gone. Let me say that again. I'm going to say it just a little bit slower. That a An inheritance is something you leave for someone when you're gone, but a legacy is something that you leave in someone when you're gone. If your neighbor came to you tomorrow and said, hey, I've prayed a bunch of times, I don't really get prayer, and I need some help, what would you say? If your son or daughter came to you tonight and said, hey, dad, I'm really struggling with these questions about heaven and hell. I kid you not, I literally was spending the night, someone, I was about seven or eight years old, I called my dad to come and get me because I was afraid that Jesus was coming back that night. I said, dad, you've got to come and get me. And I just remember him coming to pick me up. If your son or daughter tonight was just wrestling, couldn't go to sleep, worried about questions of heaven and hell, what would you say? If your coworker came to you tomorrow and said, Hey, I've been trying to understand the Bible for so long now, I'm just confused, I give up, I'm done, what would you say? Do you have the tools necessary to give them the hope that you have? You see, we offer a lot of tools here, whether it's soap and learning how to to read the Scriptures, where we break down a Scripture by saying, this is the Scripture, I'm going to observe it, I'm going to apply this to my life, and then I'm going to write a prayer based on that. Or whether it's learning how to pray, where we just simply start by acknowledging who God is, confessing who we are in our sin, giving thanks to God, and then asking or making supplications for the things that we have in our lives. You see, we want to provide you with every single tool that you need so that you might be able to provide tools To your one. We want to essentially equip you so that you might be able to equip others. That's why we're here. We want to give you every every single thing that you need in order to equip others, in order to mend those broken bones, in order to prepare that ship for a voyage, or to prepare that soldier for battle. That's why we do what we do to, to help remove any barriers that you might feel like are between you and God. So that you can pray on your own. So that you can read the scriptures on your own. So that you can know the good news of Jesus Christ on your own. That's why we do what we do. But let me ask you this. Even if you don't feel like you have what it takes to equip someone, are you still available to speak good news? Even if you don't feel like you have what it takes to equip somebody in a relationship, would you still be willing to speak good news? I don't think I've shared this in some time, but there was, there was a man by the name of Walter Dees. You shouldn't know him. He was a man that, he's long gone. He's already passed. His name was Walter Dees. And Walter was a Christian who had gone to church for a long time, and he spent a lot of time in the faith, and he'd kind of come to a point in his walk with Christ where he said, I'm going to take ownership of all the neighborhoods and all the places that live around me, and I'm just going to be available. He had never been to seminary. He didn't have all the answers. He was much like what you might feel like you're like, but all he said was that I am available. Walter D's. And so he started out, and he would go and Sometimes he would knock on doors. Sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he would just kind of pass through the neighborhoods. And if he saw anybody out and about, he'd stop them and have a conversation with them. Just say, hey, uh, if you need any prayer, I've got a prayer for you. And I'll, I'll just pray for you right now, right here and now. And so he formed this habit of doing this. And it tells us uh, after some time of doing this that he found this guy that was sitting on his front porch. He was one of those front porch guys. You know what I'm saying? He had a fly swatter. He was sitting in his overalls, that's all he did, that's how he killed his time, was just sitting on the front porch, sitting there with all his kids, sitting there with his wife, and Walter decided that he was going to, he was going to build a relationship with this guy, and so he got up on the front porch, and he started talking with him, and sat there kind of elbow to elbow, eye to eye, and he listened, and he heard his story, he prayed with him, he never actually even spoke the good news of Jesus. He didn't beat him down. He didn't wear him down. But from time to time, he would just say, you know, hey, you know, I care about you. I care about you. I'm praying for you. I'm here if you need me. He so says that he would go back to church on the next week, and this guy never showed up, didn't mean anything. Walter said, I'm going to persist in this. I'm going to keep doing this. And so he went right back to the next house the next month, and he saw this man sitting out on his front porch, same as that guy, doing the same exact thing that he had done the last time. He went up on the front porch, continued that relationship. said, hey, if you ever need anything, I'm here for you. If you need anything, just let me know. I'm praying for you. I'll be in the neighborhood, whatever it is. And he did this over, and he did it over, and over, and over again. Until finally, he finally said, man, you know, why don't you come to church with me? Just come to church, man, and just just sit with me. I'll be there if you need me. And one day, randomly, this guy shows up to church. Walter's filled with joy, overcome with happiness. He says, Come sit with me, come sit with me. He wrapped his arm around him. He's rejoicing at the fact that this man that he had invested so much time with had finally showed up to church. Here's the crazy part it's just how God works and what God is doing in the world. That the day that he shows up, it's not even the normal pastor given the speech, given the, the sermon. Like maybe we should try that sometimes here. It's not even the normal pastor giving the sermon. It's just a guy filling in, a substitute guy. guy gives his, he gives his testimony. He says, here's the good news of Jesus Christ. If anybody would like to receive Jesus Christ and come forward today, and I just want to say that you can come and do that. We'll pray you can receive Christ. On the day that the pastor's out, this man, he walks forward and receives Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Walter's in the back. Can you imagine what Walter's doing at this point? He's shouting hallelujah. He's raising his hands. He's praise God that all of my work, everything has happened just like this. The man that went forward that morning to receive Jesus Christ was my great-grandfather. I don't know this man Walter. I never met him. I don't know what he looks like, but four generations have passed down because some dude took it upon himself to go sit on a front porch. You guys, I-, I want you to understand this. Listen, this is not something that we want to beat down on you. This is not something that we want to just, you got to go do it. We, we don't want you to feel pressure or the weight of it. But I just want you to understand what we're missing when we don't. We're missing out on what God is doing in the world. We're missing out on God's, God's purposes, God's mission, and all of the world, that whenever we choose to say, no, I'm going to hoard this to myself. I'm not going to pass this down to anybody. I'm not going to take the time to just simply pray. I'm not going to be a person of peace. What we're doing is we're saying that we want to miss out on what God is doing and what God, is, God has for us and what God has for others. This is so important. What if what if the next church planner to the city of Goose Creek spent his time at a bar last night? What if the next church planner sent out from Creekside Church is far from God right now in his own filth, walking the streets? What if the next great movement of God that, that he wants to do in all of this city is the one person that you just wrote down? What if? We have such a smaller view of God than Philip did. We've got to open our eyes, have him open our eyes so that we can see And this ain't about us. It's about what he's doing in the world. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and Lord, we realize the weight of what stands before us Lord, whenever you say, go and make disciples or go and equip. It's a call, Lord, to simply be obedient. But I'm afraid that we see it as a burden. And when we view it as a burden, we don't go when we don't go or we miss out. And I'm a firm believer. I believe it. God, there's somebody out there right now wrestling with spiritual questions. And all it's going to take is a firm believer with skin and bones to go and say, here, this is the good news. God, forgive us for not going. Have mercy and grace on us when we don't. Give us eyes to see your harvest. Give us words to speak when we go. And may we see the fruit that only comes from the work of God. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you guys for being here this morning. And I just want to say that if you're wrestling with this, And you like to take a next step, whatever that is. Maybe you wrote down that name and it just feels overwhelming. Or maybe you yourself would like to take a next step in just your relationship with Jesus. I'm going to be in the back of the room. And if you need anybody to pray with, or maybe you're just going through a lot today, I invite you to come and pray. And we'll be at the back to receive you and just pray about whatever it is that's going on in your life. And if you've never started a relationship with Jesus Christ, may today be the day and you find out what this is all about.